Good morning, church. You can open your Bibles to Exodus chapter 20. As Jim mentioned, we are continuing our Ten Commandments series, and today we arrive at the Seventh Commandment. The title of this sermon is, You Shall Not Commit Adultery. Uh, For parents here, a bit of a heads up. If you have children in the auditorium, I'm going to be speaking on some more mature themes this morning, uh, like the gift of sex. So I want you to have a heads up, and you can determine whether your children stay or not. Exodus 20, we're going to read the first two verses, and then we're going to read verse 14. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And then verse 14, which is the seventh commandment, You shall not commit adultery. May God bless the preaching of his holy word. On dark nights when the moon is hidden and the clouds are at bay, Kevin Hughes sits at the bottom of his garden and gazes up at a rich black sky. In contrast to his childhood growing up in London, amidst the glare of orange sodium vapor lights, he usually sees hundreds And when his eyes focus, he sees thousands of stars that fill the sky. Hughes now lives in West Penwith that sits on a peninsula in the southwestern part of England that that juts out as a peninsula into the Atlantic Ocean. Hughes and the other residents of West Penwith have worked for seven years to pass legislation and implement restrictions that limits the use of lights at night so that their village could achieve what's known as dark sky status, which they were granted in December of 2021. Dark sky status is granted to communities that restrict the use of lights at night for the purpose of protecting the ability to see something grand, something great, namely a magnificent star-studded sky. In West Penwith, the use of streetlights and floodlights and other lights are restricted at certain hours at night. And what lights are used? They have recommendations of using narrow-spectrum, low-color bulbs. Now, because of their dark sky status, tourists have started making their way to West Penwith, fully cooperating with the restrictions that limit the use of life, light, for the purpose of seeing something greater and something grand. One person commented that he fully complied with the restrictions because of the memory-making experience that he had. This is what he said, looking through the lens of a telescope and seeing Saturn for the first time with the rings clearly defined is a momentous occasion. You can't underestimate the wow factor that people are looking for. See, the people of West Penwith, they said no to the use of lights at night to protect the night sky so they could say yes to something grand and something great. I shared that story because every time God gives us a prohibition, He is protecting something good. See, we can read these Ten Commandments and we can note the repetitive phrase, actually nine times, you shall not, and see them simply as a list of restrictions. We can begin to think, was 
God just having a bad day when he gave us the Ten Commandments. When we examine the you shall nots more closely, we learn that whenever God says no to something, he is saying yes to something much, much better. And his restrictions are intended to protect the good gifts that he has given us. The seventh commandment says no to adultery and all sexual sin for that matter for the purpose of protecting the good gift of marriage the good gift of sex within marriage, and how those gifts uniquely, those two gifts uniquely point to the gift of the gospel. Now, in this cultural moment, it's important for us to be aware of how our culture may be influencing our understanding of these gifts God has given us. Today, marriage has been downgraded to a matter of convenience, and when you fall out of love, It's not satisfying or convenient any longer. Divorce is the obvious option. Sex has been reduced to self-fulfillment and even self-identity. And in a culture of individualism that we live in, that means you have the freedom to do anything you want sexually. See, our culture cheapens the gifts of marriage and sex that the seventh commandment cherishes and protects which is why the seventh commandment couldn't be more timely for us as a church in this cultural moment. So let's look at how the seventh commandment protects these three gifts. Number one, the seventh commandment protects the gift of marriage. Like that star-filled sky in West Penwith, God gives the gift of marriage to all people at creation. Think about that for a moment. Andy prayed for gratitude. We should be grateful that God didn't end His creation account in Genesis 2.18, observing that it was not good for the man to be alone. At that point, you could have called it a week and never created Eve. It would have been a world where no one stops and asks for directions. Or no one can find the shirt that's right in front of them because men seem to be born with these indivisible blindfolds where they can't see stuff that's just right there. Jill calls it boy's eyes. It wouldn't have been good. But God in his goodness didn't stop his work of creation in Genesis 2.18. He puts Adam into a deep sleep. He takes one of his ribs and he creates woman. And when Adam awakes out of his sleep and he sees Eve for the first time, he is smitten by her. So much so that the first words that Adam speaks to Eve are poetry. Found in Genesis 2 verse 23. This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Adam was no longer alone for he saw how Eve complimented him in every way, physically, emotionally, spiritually, and how he complimented her in every way. And in at creation, God establishes marriage between one man and one woman. In the, in the next verse, Genesis 2, verse 24, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. So when a man and woman marry, a covenant is established between them through the words that they speak when they give their vows to one another, and that covenant is sealed through sexual intimacy. See, marriage is a precious gift from God because it is the most exclusive, intimate, lifelong relationship that a man and woman can share. And if you protect your marriage, 
and cultivate your marriage. That exclusive, intimate relationship, it only grows sweeter as you grow older. And Jill, you and I know that's been our experience only because of the grace of God, because you are such a gift to me. See, this is why Solomon writes in Proverbs chapter 6, verse 32, that the one who commits adultery actually lacks sense because it is a sin that breaks the marriage covenant and it disrupts the most intimate, committed, lifelong relationship that a man and woman can enjoy and it, it, it disrupts it with devastating consequences. See, we must remember the context of Exodus chapter 20. After God delivers his people out of Egypt, that's what he said in verse 2, he's preparing them to enter the promised land where they will be fruitful and multiply as a nation of God, as a society of God's people. And so the Ten Commandments are not simply rules to live by. They establish a moral code that is for the good of God's people and actually, when followed, leads to the flourishing of society itself. A society filled with families that are built on the foundation of marriage. See, God says you shall not commit adultery because he wants to protect us from the devastating effects that adultery has upon children, upon family, upon marriages, and upon even society itself. I am aware and have experienced the devastating effects of adultery. When I was 16 years old, after my parents had been married for 18 years, years, they divorced. My mom had an affair with a man that she met at work, and she left. We didn't know where she was for seven years. She left me and my two younger sisters with my father. And during that seven-year period, I was angry at my mom. I broke the sixth commandment that Leo preached on last week, and I certainly wasn't keeping the fifth commandment to honor my, my mom that, that Jared preached on a couple of weeks ago. After seven years, she surfaced, and we began to have communication with her. We learned that she had remarried, and that husband had died, and she was getting to, ready to marry her third husband. By this time, I had become a Christian, and I knew that Scripture taught me that I don't need to honor her, but I needed to reconcile with her. And through a number of events, one of them being sitting where you're sitting here at Covenant Fellowship, hearing the preaching of God's word and how to apply the gospel to my life, I was convicted of my anger and of my bitterness. And so I reached out to my mom and I confessed my sin to her. And she was gracious to forgive me. And in that moment, she confessed her sin to me. And I was gracious to forgive her. That was around 1992, and we have been in a good relationship ever since. In fact, I just traveled down this week in the Atlanta area Monday night to celebrate with her on Tuesday, her 85th birthday. I share that story with you because it reveals the power of the gospel. It says nothing about me, only about my sin. It reveals the power of the grace of God. So if you're here and you've been affected by the sin of adultery, maybe your spouse committed adultery against you, I have a little bit of a sense of the 
the pain and the sense of betrayal that you feel. And if you're angry about that or bitter about that, don't do what I do, did. Repent, confess, and give it to God. Receive the grace of God. And, and I want you to know there is just great hope, sure hope in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Maybe you're here and you've committed the sin of adultery. The gospel makes the mercy of God possible for you. There is no sin that is beyond the reach of the power of the gospel. If you've not confessed that sin, do so today and receive God's mercy and receive His forgiveness. If you're here, maybe you're watching on live stream and right now you are contemplating an adulterous relationship, I want you to know the grace of God that will help you to say no to that relationship and help you to say yes to the gift that your marriage is and the gift that you can enjoy in marriage, which is far better. Maybe you're here and your marriage is struggling right now. All all marriages go through periods of that. Jill and I have. But if your marriage is struggling right now, what God wants you to see today is the gift that your marriage is. And I'm asking you, and as a pastor, I'm pleading with you, please sit down with one of us pastors so that we can help you. I I, I say all these things because marriage is a precious gift from God that must be protected at all costs. And by the way, this, this command, the seventh commandment, protects the sacredness of God's design for marriage between one man and one woman, and therefore implicitly affirms That marriage is between one man and one woman and denies same-sex marriage. Now, we will stand on this biblical definition of marriage as a church, not in arrogant defiance to the culture, but let us be a people who do so in humble submission to God's Word. And maybe you're here, you're watching on live stream, and you are in a same-sex relationship. Here's what we want you to know. We will not condemn you. We're so glad that you're here. We're so glad that you're watching. And as Christians, we want you to know we don't think we're better than you. All of us, the Bible teaches, are broken by sin and need the grace of God in the gospel. Now, because of what the Bible teaches, we can't affirm your relationship, but we want you to be here. We want to get to know you. We will come alongside of you in love for the purpose of showing you the good news of the transforming power of the gospel of Jesus Christ that has changed our lives. See, Covenant Fellowship, the, the most effective way that we can counter the culture is not, not by the uncharitable rhetoric that goes on out there, but by offering a true vision of marriage between one man and one woman who are faithful to one another and are clearly enjoying that most intimate relationship, which is why we must understand the positive obligations of the seventh commandment. Husbands and wives, you keep the seventh commandment when you pursue one another romantically, nurturing the love that you have for one another emotionally, spiritually, and sexually. Which leads to my next point. Number two, the seventh commandment protects the gift of sex. In giving the the gift of marriage, God gives the good gift of sex that is to be enjoyed within the marriage. You see that in 
Genesis 2.24, let's look at that verse again. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. A man is to hold fast. He is to cleave to his wife, and through sexual intimacy, the two now become one flesh. See, in, in our, in our sex-crazed culture, we can forget that sex was actually God's idea. He's the one that created it. It is a gift that he gives to married couples, not just for procreation, but to be enjoyed. Scripture celebrates sexual love between husband and wife in the, in the book of the Song of Solomon. We see in that wonderful book how, how husband and wife, they, they pursue the pleasure and joy of the other through sexual intimacy in a way that strengthens their marriage. See, sexual intimacy in marriage is what Tim Keller calls covenantal cement that helps hold a marriage secure. And that's why adultery is so serious, because it distorts the gift of sex by moving it outside of marriage, and it makes it much more about self-fulfillment rather than mutual fulfillment. Jesus, Jesus said as much when he referenced the seventh commandment in his Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 and 28. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. There's his reference. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So what Jesus is doing here is he's rightly interpreting the law by saying, even if you don't commit the physical act of adultery, you can still be guilty of sexual sin because of the lustful intent in your heart. Jesus not only broadens the definition of adultery to include heart motivation, he broadens sexual sin to include everyone who has lustful intent in their heart. So the seventh commandment is for all of us here, whether we are married or single. So it's important for all of us to know what is lustful intent. Well, noticing that a, a woman is beautiful or a man is attractive is not lust. Lust is in the intent, as Jesus taught. It's in the, it's the lingering gaze that imagines and fantasizes about sexual possibilities. For men, it is typically more visual in nature, and for women, typically more emotional in nature. And so, man, I wouldn't be faithful to this commandment if I didn't ask you, what, what are you doing to battle lustful intent in your heart? A couple of weeks ago, Jill and I were in a conversation with Bill and Sue Patton, and they were talking about how they go to the gym together several times a week. And then Bill just said this. Bill said, I just have to close my eyes so much more now in the gym. I have to do that to, to guard my eyes. Why does, why does Bill guard his eyes? Because Bill has a settled conviction regarding the gift of sex. Bill believes that it is a gift from God that is exclusively to be enjoyed in marriage. See, I point to Bill's example because when we battle lust, sometimes all we do is we play defense. We can see the person in the store or the image that pops up on our screen, and we're just playing defense in that moment. But the battle for lust, we must also play offense. 
meaning that we must have a settled conviction regarding the gifts of marriage and the gift of sex within marriage like Bill does. So brothers, do you have a settled conviction regarding the gifts of marriage and the gift of sex within marriage? Ladies, are there any ways that you are growing close to a man emotionally, possibly flirting with him and imagining sexual possibilities? And are others aware of your temptations? See, I'm asking these questions because adultery just doesn't happen. You know this. It begins with the lingering gaze and the emotional attachment, the the fantasies that we have in our thought life. Those are all steps we can take towards the physical act of committing adultery. See, we we must note the logical order that Jesus teaches the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus' teaching on lust precedes his teaching on divorce. So after teaching on lust, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verses 31 and 32, it was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. That, the Greek word for the phrase there, sexual immorality, the Greek word is porneia, and it captures a broad range of sexual sins, including fornication, sex before marriage, adultery, pornography, prostitution, homosexuality, sexual violence, and sexual abuse. See, the, the seventh commandment, it applies to all of us, and we can break the seventh commandment by all kinds of sexual sin, which is why this commandment is so relevant in our day. The the individualism that marks the Western culture tells you that sex within marriage is far too restrictive and you need to be free, whether you are married or not, to do anything you want sexually for the purpose of your own self-fulfillment. But that freedom is no freedom at all. Sin not only enslaves, here's what it does, it twists and it distorts God's good gift of sex that he gives to married couples. Now, because pornography is rampant in our culture, let's look at how pornography twists and distorts God's good gift of sex. Here's what Carl Truman says. Traditional objections to pornography tended to focus on the exploitation of those involved and on the inappropriate sexual lust it fueled in those consuming it. But it is surely interesting that pornography has significant philosophical affinities with the broader expressive individualism that characterizes modern Western culture. If the expressive individual sees personal satisfaction as central to the fulfilled human life, then pornography allows for the realization of that in sexual terms. It presents the sexual act as something whose significance is found simply in the pleasure of the consumer. The traditional Christian idea that sex is the seal and on a unique interpersonal, lifelong, exclusive relationship between one man and one woman and therefore has meaning only in the context of that relationship is not part of the philosophy of pornography. See, pornography and every other sexual sin for that matter 
It, it twists, it distorts God's good gift of sex. It, it embraces individualism, making it more about your individual fulfillment rather than about mutual fulfillment that sex provides between one man and one woman for a committed, lifelong, exclusive relationship called marriage. Now we as your pastors, we are, we are concerned about the effect that pornography is having on our church. For some of you, this is a secret sin that yet no one knows about. You know what I'm about to say. The Lord does know. And I believe He's calling you today to confess your sin and to bring it into the light and that you can receive His forgiveness and His, His wonderful grace. Single men, if you are viewing pornography, it is teaching you a wrong view about women. It's teaching you a wrong view about the gift of sex, and it is a terrible tutor for marriage. Brothers, women are not objects. They are precious. Precious co-heirs in Christ. And sex is not about self-fulfillment, but mutual fulfillment that is restricted for husband and wife. Married men, if you are Viewing pornography, Jesus teaches that you are committing adultery in your heart. And in doing so, you're weakening your marriage. Here's what you're doing. You're settling for something less than the good gift that God has given you in your marriage and the good gift of sex within marriage. I, I, I ask you today, if you're married, to, to put away pornography and receive the grace of God. For ladies who are married, if you are emotionally engaged with a, another man and you are wondering about being with him physically, Jesus teaches that you are committing adultery in your heart. See, re- repentance includes not only the, the putting away of pornography and other sexual sin. Repentance means stopping not only means stopping that emotional relationship, repentance means that we understand the positive obligations of the seventh commandment. See, God gives the gift of sex not only to produce children, but is also intended to deepen the love and commitment that a husband and wife experience. J.I. Packer says it this way, God intends, as the story of Eve's creation from Adam shows, that the one flesh experience should be an expression and the heightening of the partner's sense that, being given to each other, they now belong together, each needing the other for completion and wholeness. This is the love that committed couples are to make when they mate. Children are born from their relationship, but what is basic is the enriching of the couple's relationship itself through their repeated knowing of each other as persons who belong to each other exclusively and without reserve. So the place for sex is the place of lifelong mutual fidelity, marriage, where sexual experience grows richer as the couple experiences more and more of each other's loving faithfulness in the total relationship. See, God says no to adultery, not because sex is bad, because it is such a powerful force for good when it is used and 
enjoyed within the context of marriage. See, God's gift of sex, it rejects Western culture individualism for the greater joy of mutual fulfillment where husband and wife know one another more and more and realize they are exclusively given to each other. And as they grow in their love and devotion to one another, they realize that their marriage actually points to something far grander and far greater. Which leads to my third point. The seventh commandment protects and promotes the gospel. So a husband and wife who cultivate their marriage and delight in the gift of sex within marriage do so because they know that their relationship is not only emotional, it's not only physical, it is very theological. See, for the Christian, the union between husband and wife reveals the union between Christ and his church. In Ephesians 5, after Paul exhorts wives to submit to and respect their husbands, after he exhorts husbands to lay down their lives, sacrificially loving them, he quotes Genesis 2.24, saying, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. So this mystery of Christ's intimate, devoted, exclusive, joyful relationship with His people that at one time was hidden is now revealed through the intimate, devoted, exclusive, joyful, one-flesh relationship of husbands and wives. So like the people of West Penwith who restricted the use of lights at night to protect and reveal a majestic star-filled sky, God says, You shall not commit adultery to protect the gift of marriage and sex within marriage that reveal a grand and glorious relationship that Christ has with his people, the church, and that relationship only exists because of the gift of the gospel. See, when we cultivate our marriages and delight in the gift of sex within marriage, we we protect and we promote the gift of the gospel itself. See, in Scripture, marriage in part is always revelatory in nature. So in the creation account, marriage reveals how God's people will be fruitful and multiply as they become a nation, a society of God's people. In the minor prophet Hosea, Hosea, marriage reveals how the faithful husband Hosea pursues his wayward wife and how his pursuit of her points to Christ who pursues people like us who were wayward, who rejected Him, who went our own way. He pursues us. And then with His love-motivated sacrifice on the cross, He sheds His blood for all our sins. And He makes us His own. And He calls us His bride. It's amazing. By the way, if you are here and you're single and you never marry... You're you're not going to miss out. Because in Christ, increasingly, you will be fulfilled and satisfied in Christ. Because you know what? He pursued you. He saved you. He chose you. And this morning, you are His. Marriage in this life, it points to the great marriage supper of the Lamb that you and I who are Christians will enjoy in the life to come. 
Revelation 19.9 says, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Who are invited? All those, single or married, who have responded to the gift of the gospel in faith and repentance and are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And they are called blessed because on that day, when you and I enjoy that supper with Christ, we will be completely satisfied and fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Don't you look forward to that day? See, until that day, let us protect the good gifts of marriage and sex within marriage because these gifts, they point to, some, to something far grander and far greater, which is the gift of the gospel itself. Let me close with this. The village of West Penwith put restrictions on the use of lights at night to protect the gift of gazing into a magnificent star-studded sky. That's what the seventh commandment does. You shall not commit adultery. And all the sexual sin that goes with that definition is a good restriction that protects the good gifts of marriage and sex within marriage, not only so that we can enjoy those gifts in this life in the way God intends, but also because they point to something far more glorious, far more magnificent, the relationship between Christ and His church. Covenant fellowship as, as His church. May, may God give us all grace so that our witness for Christ would increasingly be more of a pure and holy witness for the good of the church and for the good of the gospel and for the glory of Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for these Ten Commandments and this morning we thank you for the Seventh Commandment. We all sit under it, needing grace. I pray, Lord, for the Spirit to do the work of conviction. Conviction is sweet because it takes away from us that which is not good for us, and it gives us what you determine is good for us. And so I pray that you would grant conviction and grant repentance for that purpose. I pray that all of us would receive the grace of God this morning. And I want to pray together with my church family. Help us grow in purity. Help us grow in holiness. Not only for the good of covenant fellowship, but for the good of the gospel, and especially the glory of Christ. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.